Welcome back to Orthodox.Faith. My name is Ron Bentley. And this is John Harmon. And in this podcast, we teach accessible and responsible Bible and Christian theology. And John, speaking of podcasts, I heard that you have been a guest on another podcast just recently. Yeah, that's right. I was invited to be a guest on a podcast called The Not-So-Secret Bible Okay. as part of a really good series that they're doing from the book of Joshua. Okay. As you know, Ron, Joshua has long been a special interest of mine. Close to your heart. Yes, yes, for a long time. I've done a lot of research in that area, in particular chapter 5 of Joshua, which was the topic of our discussion on the Not-So-Secret Bible podcast. And I had a great time chatting about Joshua 5 with the hosts, Michael Marcotte and Troy Kemper. It was a lot of fun, and we had a really interesting conversation that'll it'll actually span two episodes. And okay. I, I think as we release this episode of ours, both of those guest episodes have just been released. So head over to www.notsosecretbible.com catch my guest appearance and check out the rest of the Joshua series and the other things they're doing. I think they're doing a great job with the way they bring out biblical meaning with a careful eye to the context and solid, well-grounded theology that's clear and easy to follow. It's accessible and well-presented, and it's fun and conversational. It's enjoyable. And Joshua 5 was your dissertation, was it not? So it's not only close to your heart. You've put a lot of time into this. (laughs) Yes, it's close to my heart. I admit I have a love-hate relationship with it now, uh, but but mostly a love relationship, given the time that's passed since then. (laughs) But you and I now, we're kicking off a new series on Orthodox.Faith with this episode. That's correct. In this episode, we initiate a new series where we intend to review the story that ties together the entire Christian Bible. So when you take the whole thing together, what's that broad story there? This is Mm. not difficult, but perhaps a little more complex than you might think. That said, this is not the first time we've done something like this. Right. We did something similar in a workshop format when we worked together in a church. There was a program there with the children where the church gave the kids a Bible of their own and then hosted an event that was designed to help them get acquainted with their Bibles. So you and I developed a parallel workshop of our own for the parents of those children where we did something similar for the adults while the kids did their thing. And and it was a lot of fun to do, I recall. It was fun for us. Not so sure whether it was fun for the parents, but it was fun for (laughs) us. In this series, we imagine that people are going to approach this in several different ways. You may be confused and uncomfortable when people make references to parts of the Bible or read from it. And if you're in that category, this series is for you. We hope to give you enough information to make sense of what you hear and to be able to piece that together to know where you are in Scripture when someone reads from it, when they tell you uh, where they're reading from, you kind of know how to place that in there. On the other hand, you may be in that category of people who you think you know your Bible, but you may have some fuzzy spots, some blank spots. You're not sure whether there's some things that need to be filled in there. We're trying to give the broad outlines of the most important part of the story. If there are blank spots, then hopefully we'll fill those in here. Finally, we know there's that category of you out there. You know you know your Bible. In fact, you're not sure why we're doing this because you could do it for us. Well, we have a different <laughs> challenge for you. Two and a half hours. That's five of our episodes. How would you present what is most important 
in the biblical story. So if nothing else, you can simply point and laugh as we attempt to pull all these pieces together over this two and a half hour period here. So for many of you, we hope this is informative. For some of you, at least, we hope it's entertaining. That is our goal over the course of five episodes, which is, like you said, Ron, roughly two and a half hours. We're going to describe what we consider most important from the Bible, which is a vast collection of documents that were created and assembled over a huge period of time. So this is no small task. Let's see how we fare. An important observation about the Bible that we want to make right here up front is how diverse the texts are in terms of what kinds of writing we find in the Bible. The Bible is a collection of a lot of different texts that come from multiple contexts. Mm -hmm. There's straightforward history telling, narrative, like we see in the books of Samuel and Kings, for example. There's sections of legal material that give lists of laws. There are prayers, like we find in the book of Psalms, different kinds of poetry and wisdom sayings, like Proverbs. There are what we might call sermons or prophecy, like in Isaiah and Amos, for example. And even within a single book of the Bible, we often find more than one of these kinds of writing. In Exodus, for example, which is a book that we're going to talk about in the next episode, we find historical narrative, poetry, and song, uh, law, and covenant material, and even more than that. So we want to be aware that the Bible has many different kinds of writing that combine to form the whole. And all of these examples, Ron, are are just from the Old Testament. That's exactly right. As most people are aware, the Christian Bible has two main divisions. We call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. And John, the Old Testament is really your area of expertise. Yeah, it's the first main section, and it takes up nearly three quarters of the Bible. Yeah. We call it more broadly the Hebrew Bible, Mm -hmm. but Christians and many others refer to it as the Old Testament. The texts that make up the Old Testament were written primarily in the Hebrew language, Mm -hmm. with some parts written in a cousin language that's similar in many ways called Aramaic. The Old Testament was written and edited and assembled over a very long period of time, at least a thousand years. And it tells the story of God's work through the ancient nation of Israel up to about 400 years before the birth of Christ. What we call the Old Testament was the Bible for mainstream Jews at the time that Jesus lived. Okay. But the last one-fourth of the Bible is different in many ways, isn't it? Yeah, that's the New Testament there, and it does differ substantially in several different ways. First, it was written in Greek, so rather than being written in Hebrew, New Testament documents are written in Greek. The material there was created and assembled over no more than a 100 years And the material has a very tight focus. It tells the story of God's work in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the immediate aftermath in the churches, the the foundation of the church and the, the growing community of Christians immediately following Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Within less than 200 years of Jesus' lifetime, the documents of the New Testament were being treated as scripture by Christians, side by side with the Old Testament. You know, a good question that comes up here, I think, is... The question, why these documents and not other documents? I mean, at some point, there has to be a standard list or a group of texts that the 
community of faith agrees on and and that it holds in common as scripture, right? Of course, yes. And obviously, when we start talking in those terms, we're talking about what we often call canon. Uh, Canon, in this case, indicating precisely that the standard list, the rule that says these are the documents that we're going to take as scripture, whatever that means. The question you've brought up, John, obviously is an intensely interesting one. Why are these documents, the documents that make up what we as Christians call scripture. The answer to that depends a lot on the content. So you got to know what the documents say to understand why these documents are the Bible. Our plan is that at the end of this series, we're going to come back and we will spend a little bit of time with this question, why these documents? But let us tell you what's in the documents first. Let's begin our survey on page one of the Bible, the yeah, book of right. Genesis. Where else? <laughs> the, yeah, the, the book of Genesis has two main sections in it, chapters 1 through 11 and chapters 12 through 50. And the first section of the book of Genesis is a collection of, of stories about creation uh, right. and about origins. And okay. uh, the, the book opens up famously with, in the beginning, God created the heavens right. and the earth. It's, it's the story about God creating everything. And the creation stories, actually in Genesis 1 and 2, they mean to tell us who created this world. That's the point of the story. And by telling us that, it's telling us who is in charge, who has a claim upon this world that we live in. But something that is a, a thread through the creation stories, it's very, very important, is the reality that as God created the world... The world was created good. Yes. And it's worth observing that that particular assertion actually gets challenged later on, just shortly after the time that's described in the New Testament. There are those who, who challenge whether creation is actually good or not. But as the story plays out in Genesis, something goes terribly wrong. Evil enters the world depending on how you sort through the details are given there. It's a bit ambiguous, just exactly where this evil originates. But what's crystal clear is that we human beings sided with evil against God. In doing so, we damaged our relationship with God and ultimately set ourselves in the position of being at war with God. Yeah, the whole of creation and humanity opposed to God in right. God's own creation. There's there's just some horrible contradictions there, right. some horrible problems that come up that are setting us opposed to God. And really, in a sense, there, there's nothing that can be done about it unless God does something about it. And okay. in fact, that's what is going to happen. All right. God's going to redeem the situation. And there we pick up the, the primary theme of the rest of the Bible. Right. And this is going to be a recurring theme. It's it's the heart of the story, and it's a thread that you and I are going to follow right. all the rest of the way. All the way through. In fact, there are some other stories there in those first 11 chapters of Genesis, the story of Noah and the flood, uh, the story of the Tower of Babel. Add those to the creation and the fall, we get those four events, the four main events of this first 11 chapters. And John, it's my understanding that the point here is humanity's 
continued failure <laughs> to maintain an appropriate relationship with God. Right. I, I think the flood story and the Tower of Babel story simply play out the okay. disaster uh, that has come upon the earth <laughs> okay. as a result of, 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 of what humans have done. Uh, so, right, we have the, these, these four main events, creation, mm-hmm. the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel that sort of um, anchor the right. first 11 chapters of Genesis. And, and up, up to that point in Genesis, remember, this is very literary language. It's stylized language. Okay. It's driven by the way that ancient cultures meant to convey this kind of information. So we need to be sensitive to the way that ancient cultures said this kind of thing and, okay. and not get too tied up in making what we find in Genesis fit into the way that we convey today this kind of information. Yeah, fair enough. But we've just outlined what we understand as the most important parts of this story, the the key elements of this broader story. Now, though, we start finding out how God deals with the situation that humanity is in. Right. This is a major turning point in the story as we begin to look toward God's solution. What what does what does God plan to do about uh, what has happened in God's creation? So after the opening stories that we've been talking about, the stories that tell us about the the self inflicted, inescapable problem that humankind has, the story of God's solution begins in Genesis twelve with a single family. That's right. It introduces two characters. They are introduced first by the names Abram and Sarai, but then in their interactions with God, God renames them, and they're known subsequently as Abraham and Sarah. And they're introduced as the ones through whom God would build a people for the purpose of rescuing and restoring the world. This relationship was based on a promise, a promise that God made to Abraham and Sarah. That promise is so essential and so central that, John, I think we've agreed we need to read this. We do. We do. This is uh, Genesis 12. The way Genesis 12 opens, this is God's calling Abram, soon to be Abraham, and making him this promise. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Yeah. That's a powerful promise. All right. the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to turn you into a numerous people, a multitude, and we'll actually see that very shortly uh, right. come come to pass. Uh, and um, I am going to bless the world. I'm going to bring bring something special into the world, something that the world needs, uh, and I'm going to do it through you. So right. one, of the, one of the things that we then see in the rest of Genesis is uh, over and over, the success of that promise's survival and that promise's fulfillment have to depend only on God. Right. The humans that, are, that that, that <laughs> right. promise is made to keep putting that promise in jeopardy right. over and over. And we, we start to wonder as we read if they can if they can ever keep from screwing things up enough <laughs> to, the, to the point that the promise can never be fulfilled. Uh, they, they come close to wiping themselves out and making right. it impossible for, for God to fulfill this promise. But, but God must fulfill this promise because God made it. 
uh, to them. So we're left with this with this question: Can, can these people even stay alive long enough for God to come through on the promise that He's made? Well, the family of Abraham and Sarah certainly do continue to demonstrate that God will intervene time after time to make sure the promise can be fulfilled. Abraham and Sarah and the few generations that follow, they all have their ups and downs as they trust God or fail to trust God (laughs) along the way. Uh, Sometimes they get it right. Uh, Sometimes, often, they don't. But in the end, it seems that what we learn is that the success of God's promise depends entirely on God. Yes, the, the we see this play out generation after generation, because after Abraham and Sarah, uh, the, then the, the subsequent generations of their children, grandchildren, and, and great-grandchildren take up the, the balance of the story, and they each in turn inherit the promise. Okay. So the promise is, is passed down because it's not fulfilled to Abraham and Sarah. Right. So the promise is passed down from generation to generation. Each one inherits it. But like you said, uh, and this is probably putting it mildly, they, they all have their ups and downs, <laughs> right? They, right. Um, the, the next generation, uh, Isaac and Rebecca, right. find themselves in, in a, a game of deceit. Right. That um, that that risks um, the, the the next generation of the uh, of inheriting the covenant promise. Uh, the next generation is is Jacob right. and his wives Leah and Rachel. Uh, well, Jacob is a trickster right. who uh, who on more than one occasion about gets himself killed. And even leaves the promised land, right. uh, the land where this promise is supposed to be fulfilled. <laughs> Jacob finds himself uh, far away from that land, right. and the question of whether he'll ever be able to return is kind of raised uh, in the book of Genesis. Uh, yeah. Then the following generation, uh, Abram and, and Sarah's um, great-grandchildren, among them is Joseph. And we get this the long cycle of stories, right. um, Genesis 37 to 50, where it's the story of Joseph in Egypt, right. uh, where, where God then rescues the whole family right. uh, from, from famine and preserves the people. So we're, again, the family is at risk of being wiped out and not being able to to receive the fulfillment of the promise or at least to pass it down further uh, to the whatever generation God will fulfill uh, the promise to but by the time then we get to to the book of Exodus you know the Joseph's time in Egypt is uh, the end of the book of Genesis by the time we get to Exodus the that book actually opens with the covenant family having become a multitude of people uh, and and we start to look at Israel as a nation, not simply as a single family, but as a nation. John, I have to ask at this point, I happen to know that that story or that cycle of stories, I think you called it, that surround Joseph take up a sizable chunk of the book of Genesis. And yet the core seems to reside earlier. And this may be a recurring theme in our series here that there's huge sections of text that are important, but not the central piece. Uh, given that, given how much of Genesis is dedicated to the story of Joseph, could you say a little bit more about the role that that story of Joseph plays in Genesis as a whole? Sure. In the Joseph section of Genesis, uh, basically, um, we are we are introduced or, or get to know this this character uh, that God is going to use to basically save the family. Okay. The family is is going to be in in dire straits in the land, and God is going to raise up this member of the family 
to, uh, to, to basically preserve the family. So they migrate down to Egypt and they lived, live under his care okay. um, so that they can multiply uh, and then be released. Uh, we'll get to this in the book of Exodus, but, right. uh, but ultimately then be released back to the land, uh, which is, is, is what the rest of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible and, and into the book of Joshua then are concerned with. So very, very important block of text there. Uh, it gets into a lot of detail. We all know the musical. Andrew Lloyd Webber. That's right. Like like you said, one of my favorite lines from that uh, from that musical is Joseph's coat has got our goat. Uh, I just <laughs> Wow, that's absolutely. the line that sticks out, eh? <laughs> yeah, that's that's well that's one of them, one of the okay. many. Um that, that uh, uh of course Joseph, you know, gets gets this privileged position within the family. He's hated for it, is sold into slavery back or down into Egypt and uh, ultimately rises above the family uh, and is put in a position where the covenant promise can actually be preserved um, under his leadership. So um, that's really what's happening. It's a transitional point in the life of the of the covenant family. Okay. Uh, and of course, uh, as we emerge into Exodus, like I said just a minute ago, uh, then we see, while well, we see the beginnings of the fulfillment uh, of this promise and 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 the fact that that God the Redeemer uh, does indeed uh, have full control of this situation and right. the fulfillment of this promise indeed does rest entirely with God. We made much of the fact that we have only five episodes, two and a half hours to present the overall story of the Bible. And here we are just one book in at the end of the first <laughs> yeah. episode. That does say something about how important Genesis is. The theme is set. Notice what the story arc is. Humans struggle against evil and they usually fail. God steps in to redeem the situation. If you haven't read the book of Genesis, it is on its own worth your time. It will first strike you as strange and mysterious, almost otherworldly, yet few things are more crucially about this very world we live in than the book of Genesis. Over time, it will become more and more clear just how beautiful and majestic this introductory book of the Bible is. But again, the core story Humans fail, God redeems them. Yeah, yeah, God redeems them. That's that's the key here. And one of the one of the essential characteristics of this plan or this program of God's for the redemption of humankind is what we call covenant. Right. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we as we continue through this series, but the essence here is that God desires relationship with people. Right. And as their creator, it's God's right, is it not? Yeah, it, it's what God created creation for, <laughs> right? Is to be in relationship with it. So God didn't stop desiring that, right? When humans fell, so by grace, God establishes a structure through which humans can understand what it means to live in relationship with the King of the Universe. And that's what we see in the covenant relationship. That's, it's, a, it's a structured relationship. What does it mean to live in a relationship with God? Well, the covenant lays that out and expresses that and gives people a, a, a pattern to follow. It was God's role to make and to keep the promise, as okay. we said. But it was people's role 
to trust God right. and to live by faith in the promise keeper. And that's the only way that God's plan for redemption would ever be able to come about. And that is where we're going to take the story from here and to follow it uh, all the way to its conclusion. John, you introduced the word covenant, and I know I somewhere picked up an oversimplified understanding of the word covenant as an agreement, uh, a, a treaty or a contract. And when I've heard you talk about this, a covenant is far more nuanced and sophisticated than that. Yeah, the the term covenant is is a bit of a technical term in biblical studies, and it does reference or, or have elements of treaties okay. and agreements and contracts. It, it isn't uh, entirely something else, but that's only part of it. Like right. you say, it's far more nuanced than that. The, the idea of covenant is is a formalizing of a relationship that already exists. Okay. A covenant doesn't create the relationship. A covenant describes and formalizes the structure of that relationship okay. in terms that both parties to a covenant agree on. And one of the covenant parties in this case is, of course, God, right. <laughs> the, the ruler of the universe. <laughs> the one who so, made it all. Yeah, so we don't have a covenant between equals, right? but we do have a covenant between, between God and, and Abraham and Moses, and, and there are other examples of covenants in the Bible um, that, uh, that, that essentially lay out what a relationship is supposed to be and what it's supposed to look like uh, So this for, for the benefit of, of humankind so, so that we understand uh, what it is that is expected of us and, and how we are to live and to respond uh, to the God who has already called us and brought us into relationship with himself. Well, that's where we're going to have to wrap it up now. The world has been created by God. Humans have taken their position, breaking that relationship with God. God is trying to redeem that relationship, and this happens over and over again. We will pick up in the next episode with the book of Exodus, as John said, at this point, the family of Abraham and Sarah have moved to Egypt there under Joseph. And when we come back to the story at the beginning of Exodus, this family is now actually a nation. And we will trace the history of that nation as it moves further down the path that God has planned for it. For more information about this podcast and our other activities, please see our website at orthodox.faith, that's O-R-T-H-O-D-O-C-S dot F-A-I-T-H. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you.